Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Metal Hammer podcast. It is episode one, two, nine. I am Mo, and I'm joined today by both L. Hello, L. How are you doing? Hey, good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Not, um, yeah, been better, but we'll talk about that in a bit, I think. Um, but yeah, all else, all else is okay. How are you doing, Jonathan? We've got Jonathan I'm, here as well. I am doing fine. I'm good. Doing right. I'm glad to hear. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about today for sure. Uh, don't forget that the latest issue of Metal Hammer is out right now. It's got Metallica on the cover. SNM 2 is out this week. We're very excited about that. And you can read my exclusive interview with the band about SNM 2, uh, about James going to rehab, and about what they've been up to in lockdown in the new issue of Metal Hammer that's out right now. Uh, we've also got a big thing with Avatar in the new issue. And if you're a fan of Avatar, you are going to want to stay tuned to the Metal Hammer socials because we've got something else very, very cool, which we're going to be releasing imminently i'm talking in the coming days so if you're an avatar fan look out for that uh loads and loads of cool stuff to get through uh jonathan just before we started recording you mentioned that you watched the uh, midgard's blurk stream on the weekend what was that like yeah it was it was fascinating and different so um yeah midgard's blurk is the annual i think it's been going for five years now it's the annual uh festival folk and metal festival that's set in the viking bell grounds in Bora. Uh, the Midgard at uh, the Midgard Viking Center, and so obviously you know one of the one of the festivals that couldn't have occur this year. So they did something different for the live stream, in the sense that like they only had one live band, um, and the rest of it was um, a lot of kind of discussions and talks talking about um, kind of the history that um, you know that's involved with the festival, the history that. Um, that's involved with the Sykes, it's all, it's all burial mounds for an, for an old Viking dynasty. Uh, so yeah, they had some in- introductions, they had lectures, they took you into uh, the reconstructed Great Hall, or the Gildahalla as it's called, and they explained some of the carvings, they told some fables uh, based around the carvings, and, so, and they had some really interesting in-depth interviews with Heilung, with Ishan, and with Dolk from Kampfar, who mm. played the... Um, European Metal Festival Alliance from inside the Gildahalla. Uh, so, and one of, the, one of the way this festival is always framed is with a big ceremony called a blute, which is, um, you know, a call out to the gods. Uh, it's a very, it's a very involved um, festival. It includes, um, yeah, dipping a birch tree in blood, so probably not for vegetarians. Um, <laughs> and, you know, giving a call out to the gods or the deities or the spirits of your choice. Um, usually involves like a kind of a, you know, talking about the, the, the inclusiveness of the whole event as well too. And, and the guy who, um, the, the two main guys in charge of the, of the, of these ceremonies, the opening, the closing ceremonies are called Benny and Gustav. And they have their own band called, uh, Folk Tech Bortifor Nordavidin. Wow. Oh Okay, we might yeah, have to Folket get that. Folket Fortivor Nordavinden. Um, Folket Fortivor. Folket Fortivor Nordavinden. All right, we're um, going to have to get Yo- that spelled out on the uh, reader. Yeah, Johan Haig uh, from Amana Martha is a big fan of them. He mentioned them actually about how much, about how affected he was by them in a recent issue of Metal Hammer. Hmm. Um, and so they're very much a uh, obviously you know in the kind of pagan folk uh vein but it's very shamanic very repetitive not in the same way not in the same way that highland are but um much more kind of a bit more of a stripped down version and um yeah they they play this kind of very 
sort of healing, healing music. Uh, and they get, normally if they had a crowd that, you know, they have everybody on board with them. And um, he often gives like speeches about inclusiveness mm -hmm. um, and about the ethos of the festival. So this, this band and Benny and Gustav, who's a, Gustav is a storyteller, they're very much like the heart and the soul and the ethos of the festival. Uh, so the whole thing took about four or five hours and yeah, it was absolutely fascinating throughout and not your typical festival stream because, you know, uh, Midgarshba is a ethos as, as well as a festival. It's, uh, mm. you know, once you pass through those gates, you're into a very wonderful kind of realm. Wow. That's cool. I mean, uh, that sounds like a very unique stream. Obviously we're kind of still seeing different festivals and gigs and bands find new ways to present stuff and I can imagine that Mitzgard's book is a very hard one to recreate because of everything you said about the tradition and the kind of uh, the mythos and the ethos that it's kind of buried in. Um, I actually, believe it or not, went to an actual real life gig this week. Um, wow. I know, I know, an actual real gig with real people on a real stage. Um, it wasn't a particularly metal hammer friendly gig. It was uh, Rob Lynch, who's a, a kind of acoustic heavy a singer songwriter um but he's a mate of mine and uh, i knew a few people that were going down so i decided to go down um it was hosted at uh, the the signature brewery in walthamstow and um, so what they did was they kind of opened the brewery right up it's a really tall um industrial kind of warehouse thing super high ceilings and they opened the the back doors out um so it was nice and aired out and they had everyone socially distanced and sat at benches and stuff um, and it was it was really really nice to be honest just to be in a room with people um jonathan's tripping around his bedroom for some reason while i talk trying to drown out uh, trying to drown out what sounds like a tractor is actually a lawnmower next door oh dear go away um but yeah it was it was really nice it was so nice to be in that kind of feeling of just sharing an experience with people and had a little bit of a sing-along although i didn't go too hard on that because i'm still not sure what the uh the thing is about spreading germs by singing in the current climate. But um, yeah, we still had a nice little time and he also played the David Brent song. So that was a bit of me. I really enjoyed that. Uh, so yeah, I know that Jamie Lenman is doing um, some of those signature brewery gigs this week as well. So uh, yeah, it was just awesome. It was really nice to do something like that. I don't know how many more opportunities there'll be to do that, but um, it was just nice to do something that just felt normal. I think, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah it is like, i feel like that every time i go for like a walk with a friend or something i'm like oh it's a normal person i feel normal again doing normal stuff i know it's going to be a little while yet before we get to uh, proper gigs again but i'm sure it is coming and uh yeah it's just nice to see some things that are kind of you know advancing that and and showing that we are moving forwards we are moving forwards and upwards out of this madness uh, slowly but surely um so yeah i mentioned earlier that uh, we had a bit of a shitty day so far and that's because we all woke up to the news that Riley Gale who was the front man of Power Trip uh, passed away last night uh, we still don't know a whole lot about exactly what happened other than the statement that the band put out at the start of the day um, which said it was with the greatest of sadness we must announce that our lead singer and brother Riley Gale passed away last night um, so yeah this is a real shock uh, obviously Power Trip are a band that we here at Melthammer have supported very heavily. We had them on the cover back in 2018. Um, we had them on the Melthammer tour featuring Trivium and Code Orange and Venom Prison before that. Um, and they were a band that we, you know, we were very invested in and we loved very much. And, and 
uh, as someone who had interviewed Riley a few times over the years, um, I felt this one quite keenly. It's always horrible when somebody that young, um, you know, 34 years old, passes away unexpectedly in the metal scene. But when it's someone that you've kind of talked to a few times and feels like they are kind of in the orbit of Metal Hammer quite a lot, it just feels all that more um, pertinent, I guess. Uh, and so, yeah, it's just an absolute shocker. So obviously our, our thoughts are, are with Power Trip and Riley's friends and family. Um, as we say, we don't know what the whole situation is right now with exactly what happened. Um, but yeah, it's just a real shitter for that to have happened. And, and, and Riley, to me, was genuinely one of the coolest people to interview. He was a fantastic front man, really made that band come to life on stage. Um, but he was also an incredibly intelligent man and a very... A passionate and empathetic man and I mean I think I interviewed him three or four times and I feel like we covered more ground in those interviews than I have covered with some close friends because he had so many opinions and so much thought on so many different things that um, it was always a pleasure talking to him and I always really enjoyed our time chatting to each other so yeah an absolute shitter on that but uh, I suggest everyone go out and blast some power trip very very loudly today because they are one of the best bands uh, that we've seen in metal in quite some time. And um, I'm sure we'll find out what the future might hold for them from here uh, moving forwards. But yeah, mm. what a shitter, eh? Yeah. And, uh, you know, they were kind of part of the, you know, the thrash scene, but they always seem to be something more than that. Um, you know, like, like a genuine, like it's not easy for thrash bands to kind of feel contemporary because we always sound as if they're just trying to sort of copy a certain era. Um, but, but Power Trip, have always felt very much of the moment and very contemporary and a lot of that's to do with um riley's intelligence and his lyrics and just you know the level of engagement he really had mm. and yeah it's it's it's, it's gutting it's a you know it's just taking away far too soon yeah it's a real shock to wake up to this morning i think if you've seen them live and you know we had them on the metal hammer tour you know, as well, like you said, as being contemporary as him being so educated and knowledgeable and by all accounts, a really amazing person. They're just a brilliant modern new band as well. Just a brilliant person, a brilliant band. It's a really sad loss. It is, yeah, it is. And as I say, if there's any updates on it, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of take those as we come. So we don't know the full situation, but in the meantime, uh, yeah, rest in power, Riley Gale. And thanks for... Uh, a quite astonishing um, back catalogue of music you gave us in quite a short amount of time. Um, right, what else is what else has been going on? There is some good stuff going on this week. We should talk about that as well for sure. Do you want to talk about this uh, Trivium stream that's coming up, Elle? That looks quite interesting. Yeah, so obviously Trivium did that amazing live stream a few weeks back that was all kind of bells, whistles, full stage, actual production. The most professional stream that I've seen so far. And now this Saturday, they're going to be live streaming a show called The Deepest Cuts. Basis Paolo says, we are taking you into our jam room to give you a Deep Cuts trivium set of songs that we rarely play and a few that we have never played before. It'll be totally free to watch on Matt Heafy's Twitch account and there'll be exclusive merch too. This is have, cool. you had, have you had a look at The Deep Cuts? There's some really cool stuff on there. I have, yeah. I mean, what... Um... I think what's really, uh, you know, as we all have, I've been watching Trivium for 15 years now. So I feel like I've seen quite a lot of their stuff get played. I've caught them on most tours they've done as well over the years. So um, there's a few cool cuts in there that I think I've, I'm pretty sure I've seen them play live already. 
So what's really promising to me is that the songs I'm most excited about are actually the new songs that I haven't played live yet. Uh, I said leading up to the um, A Light or A Distant Mirror stream, I really wanted them to play Scattering the Ashes because that's my favourite uh, song on the new album. And it looks like that's going to be in this set, which I'm really excited about. So I'm definitely going to be, um, if not tuning in live, I'm definitely going to be finding that and, and watching it back afterwards. Yeah, it's got the some of the older ones that I love as well. It's got Ascendancy from right at the beginning and The Revanchist from my favourite Trivium album. <laughs> that was that's in a sentence cut. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, they've done yeah, a real like a slightly more of my favourite than the new one. But yeah, Scatter in the Ashes, I want to hear that too. Banger. Yeah, they've done a really good spread of uh, of tracks from across their career, which again just goes to show what an amazing catalogue they put together, really. Um yeah, looking forward to that very, very much. Uh, in other interesting news, Kerry King seems to have some new music on the go. Uh, he told Dean Guitars in a brand new interview, I've got more than two records worth of music, but to be able to go through that and pick the best 11 or 12, that first record should be smoking. Uh, so it's, it's cool that he's calling it his first record. So obviously, I don't know if he's thinking about this as a solo album or something with a new band or what. Um, but he's also added that I'm the only lyricist because I'm the only one writing music. I'm not positive who, who everyone is that's going to be playing with me. I've got to pick those songs and start trying to put lyrics on them to move the process forward. So yeah, new Kerry King music. Are we that surprised that Kerry King is continuing to make stuff after Slayer? I'm not surprised, but I'm curious about him being the lyricist and what he's going to write. Is he going to write about snakes? <laughs> Why not? Because <laughs> that's one of his passions, right? Yeah, he loves a snake. He loves a good snake. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm interested, man. Like, Slayer is Slayer, but Kerry King is Kerry King. And I'm sure he knows his way around the good song without, uh, without the, uh, anyone else involved. So we will have all the updates on that as soon as we can. I'm sure he's going to get some interesting collaborators as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're not going to say no, really, if Kerry King asks you, are you? No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For a variety of reasons. <laughs> <laughs> he's a scary man uh, well actually a very nice man when I met him um, Crowbar so this is uh, obviously we know that uh, music venues and bars and um, everything else have had a really shitty time of it during this pandemic and one of the most iconic metal bars in the world I don't think it's any uh, um, uh, exaggeration to say uh, Crowbar have posted an update on their situation this is like London's premier metal bar uh, renowned around the world. Dave Grohl's drunk in it. Lars Ulrich's drunk in it. Um, <clears throat> I once went to a little town in uh, Georgia and they'd heard of Crowbar, even though they didn't know, seem to know uh, a single other thing about England other than that. Um, and they've still not been able to open in the pandemic, which sucks. But they have just put a ton of new merchandise out. So if you've ever been to Crowbar or you want to just show off an iconic brand and pretend you've been to Crowbar, um, head over to crowbar.merch.direct.com because they have been an absolutely essential part of the metal scene over the last 20 plus years. And um, uh, yeah, we've yeah. already seen way too many metal bars closing down and all the rest of it. So. Yeah, London would not be the same without the Crowbar. Um, I've had so there's always like, when I used to go, there's always like your night would take a turn that you weren't expecting. It was always like, like crossing this threshold and you'd you end up with some kind of weird adventure almost every, almost every night. I've been there with um, the guys from Immortal, taking them in there. And the minute Motorhead came on, they went on the dance floor, sort of pulling poses. Been there Robot with, doesn't have a dance floor, does it? <laughs> well, the, the, It kind the, the, of, the, sort of, of, does. Yeah, you know, you know on, on the back part. 
Sure. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's, it's just legendary. And um, yeah, it's just, it's really, it's a genuinely rock and roll place. It is. And it's got a long association with Metal Hammer as well. There's Golden Gods Awards in there. There's a Metal Hammer banner that used to hang up right on the ceiling. Um, I mean, I, my best crowbar story that I think I've told you already is that I once met Lady Gaga in there, of all people, which is ridiculous. So it is, it is an absolutely iconic part of the music culture in London, and we want them to be able to come back. So if you fancy helping out, go to crowbar.merchdirect.com. I know there's a lot of places to support and everything else at the moment, but um, I'm sure if you've ever been to Crowbar, you can appreciate what we're talking about. Right, let's do this week's album of the week. Now, I'm going to be uh, transparent. I haven't listened to as much of this as I would have liked to because uh, we had the news about Riley this morning and that kind of threw my plans a little off uh, the rails, to say the least. Um, But uh, I know that there is a man who has lived in this album quite a bit and can tell us quite a lot about it, uh, and that is Mr. Johnson Seltzer. So tell us about the new Ulva album, Flowers of Evil, because the last record saw them take this really fascinating dip into a much more kind of 80s pop-centric, kind of almost gothy vibe. Um, and yeah. they've kind of kept that going on this album, haven't they? Yeah, they have. It's very much a continuation of um, Assassination of Julius Caesar. Um, so when I first heard it, I wasn't quite sure what I felt about it. Only because it was kind of... Maybe it's because of the similarities. Sometimes you think it takes you a little while to get to hear an album on its own terms. And, you know, without it kind of comparing it to the previous album. Now, everybody loved uh, The Assassination of Julius Caesar. Everyone I know, no matter what part of the metal spectrum you're from, there's just something really unifying about, A, the music they were kind of recreating, but the spirit in which they did it. Um, And, yeah, everyone was was, was comparing it to Depeche Mode, which um, I thought was just like, what are you on about? It's like you can hear a little bit of it, but those were, that wasn't like the main for me. The main in, the, the main um, the main uh, uh, there were, you know there wasn't the main influences. The spirit I got was actually bands like Talk Talk, uh, which is a you know an eighties pop band. They were kind of atmospheric and they went off into completely sort of beautiful, slightly more left field territory. But the last album that was pop, which is um, uh, which is the colour of the spring. And it has this really rich sense of um, sort of utopianism, but poignant and sad at the same time. And you can kind of hear that in, um, in, uh, in Flowers of Evil as well, where it's just, it's got, it's got this like very rich sense of wonder and texture, but there's a kind of a poignancy to it as well. Mm. And it's a bit more subdued than Julius Caesar. Um, so, and it's a bit more understated, which may be why I was kind of looking for like, um, you know, what's the, what are the standout songs? But the more you listen to it, the more, the deeper it gets into you. Um, and um, the, the singer Christopher Rigg, his voice is so rich and sonorous. But you also have to remember, this is a band that started off as one of the original black metal bands, you know, one of the foundational black metal bands. And that they've managed to change so much over the years, going through kind of more cinematic periods, more left field periods, uh, even doing a, an album of like 60s covers and still kept everyone on board. Um, even the, even all the old school black metal fans just shows that, you know, the that the spirit in which this band have evolved has been so genuine and 
done with such amazing craft that you know no one's no one's ever accused them of selling out mm. in any way, shape, or form. Also, it'll be a weird yeah, way to. Oh, we just talked at the same time. Oh no! <laughs> no oh, you go, you go. Just with you talking about obviously um, them being one of the original black metal bands and so influential. There's a really nice line in one of the songs uh, on the opening track, actually, which is called "One Last Dance," and it's "One Last Dance in this burning church." And like you said, his voice is very sonorous, and it really stands out and that kind of rings out really clearly. I thought that was cool. Yeah. And the album, it kind of like lyrically, like in the last two albums, you notice how much he mentions dates and times. Mm. It started off like it was 1935 in Norway or something. Loves it. it this album just kind of like floats kind of around history and it, it feels like it's trying to tell you something important, but you're trying to patch, you're trying to patch this narrative together. Yeah, definitely. There was one that was, it was it 1989 or something and he kind of sets the scene. And it's one of those albums as well where all the kind of lyrical impressions blur together as well so something from one song will blur into something else and you get that it's like the assassination of Julius Caesar you get that kind of um collage of times and places all overlapping so you're kind of not quite sure what happened when and kind of what's going on it's interesting yeah yeah it's interesting how they they do one they tend to follow one album that's very dynamic with one that's kind of in a similar vein but just a bit more smoothed out like one of my favorite albums of theirs is called blood inside and it was kind of really playful but the, the amount of dynamics i have would jump off from one to the other and the next album uh, shadows of the sun was really was really sad and just um and and poignant and plaintive and it didn't have those dynamics but it had it had something else like a really wistful quality to it but um, yeah, just this, listening to this record just makes me feel happy and slightly sad at the same time, but just in a really wonderful combination. Mm. Wow. Awesome. Well, that, that is an album that is out on Friday, Flowers of Evil by Orba, uh, on a fascinating journey that uh, just still seems to surprise us, which is awesome. Um, as I say, I've only heard the single so far, so I'm going to dig straight into it, as you guys all will, on Friday. Uh, it's quite a busy day for new music this Friday as well. Uh, Venomous Concepts having your album out. Seether having your album out, if that's your thing. Uh, Narrowhead as well. They're a really cool band, kind of uh, 90s, kind of shoegazy kind of rock band. They have a lot of interesting stuff going on. I think we're going to do a little something with them later on. Uh, and of course, um, some of you may check out the new Metallica live album, I guess. SNM2 out on Friday also. And then once you've done that, as I said, don't forget to pick up our latest issue as well to read all about it. Uh, let's do some reader questions now from facebook.com slash metalhammer readers. Love chatting to you guys on there. Uh, that community just keeps growing and growing and evolving and evolving. It's great to see. Uh, Scott Satumple asks, uh, if the Queen asked you for a metal song recommendation, what song would you pick? I would pick Enter Sandman because <laughs> why are you laughing at me because i because i think you've picked you i like the fact that you've taken this as i'm gonna get the queen into metal what's the best song to do it yeah <laughs> <laughs> because it is one of those ones where you're like you know if you have to get someone to metal what do you choose and metallica are like the biggest metal band and enter sandman is a banger and it's not too difficult for people to grasp onto so yeah it's basically what you said but apart from that Imagine. there was some there were some other other considerations 
Um, there's no swearing in it, so she won't be offended by abuse of the Queen's English. And also, it's got a prayer in it, and the Queen likes God. You know, she's the monarch who's sworn in um, with all the prayers and things and you know the national anthem god save the queen so i think she'd quite like i pray the lord my soul to keep wow yeah she'd love that one likes the chorus and the uh bit about god not so keen on the heavy bits yeah I basically imagine. that but I get headed for that i hope not i reckon she could headbang do you <laughs> i reckon she'd be into it Maybe. Maybe. i'm not sure her crown would um stick on that um quaffered head <laughs> Jonathan, what are you playing the Queen? You've got one metal song to play yeah, for her. Uh, I'm just going to see. My, I'm going to go on the lines of be careful what you ask for. Uh, so I'm going to I'm going to play a Throne Below by Watain. Jesus Christ! <laughs> just to say that, um, yeah, you think you're um, on the throne in this um, in this realm, but it's not the one that matters. Wow! <laughs> Arrested straight away for that. Arrested. Okay. Jonathan, wow. Chucked in the Tower of London. Um, I, was, I was trying to think of, again, I didn't get quite as much time to think about this as normal, but uh, I was trying to think of a metal song I like about queens and kings, and the only one I could think of was King Nothing by Metallica. So I just play that. There's also King that by Satyricon. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah, I love that song. Yeah, I love that song too. Wait, hang on. What about Rob Flynn as well? Did he have Killers and Kings? Killers and Kings, yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, you're right. That's a good one. Um, not what about songs with queens? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to think of. I googled that and it just came up with the band Queen. It was hard. And then that's as far as I went. Yeah, I literally, it's all just Queen everywhere. Uh, someone someone do a better job with this than we have. Um, well, maybe she doesn't want to hear a song about being a queen because she's a queen all day, you know. Maybe she wants some escapism, which is where Metallica and Enter Sandman could come in. There you go. Everyone wins. Hooray. Um, David Inglis asks, how important do you think the visual aspect is to the overall experience of a live gig? For example, pyro, backdrops, digital screens, outfits and makeup, etc. What do you reckon? I think it's important, but it depends on the band. So some bands, you just kind of want to see them in a sweaty club and it's all about the music and just having a good time and messing around. And some bands, it actually defines them. If you look at a band like Ramstein, they're defined by their pyro and their live show. And some people actually go to the shows, not even really knowing anything about Ramstein, but just wanting to see the spectacle. So you can't really take that away from them now. And then you've got bands like Tool who don't have pyro, but they have, you know, really swirly visuals that define them and their personality. So I think it's on a case by case basis, really. It depends who the band is and what they're trying to achieve. But you know, if you've got a good band, it should be able to, the music should be able to stand up to anything, whether you've got production or you haven't. But some bands are enhanced by production, no doubt. Mm. Yeah, I think it's got to be symbiotic. Um, obviously, you know, yeah, it's all a really good case in point where, you know, the performance, you know, like the visuals are part of the performance. Um, maybe it's also because... Um, you know, Maynard James Keenan doesn't really like kind of performing that much. But sometimes, even 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 if he's standing at the back of the stage, he's part of the whole performance. Like when he's dressed in blue, when he's a silhouette, you know. Um, and other bands, see, I still don't really understand 
Parkway drugs. I don't, I don't see, I know the visuals are really exciting as far as, because pyro is exciting, but I, I feel like I don't really understand how that fits in with what Parkway are about. I think it's just the whole like going hard thing. Like the last two records just go really, really, really hard. They're very hard hitting subjects and hard hitting emotions. And it's really heavy music. And I think they actually, they've said, haven't they? They saw Ramstein show and they thought we want to have a piece of that. So I think it's just kind of enhancing what they've done in the last couple of records by adding that in there. And I think it does enhance it because there's more of a sense of drama about them now than they used to be. You used to think, oh yeah, you'll watch Parkway and that'll be good. And now there's kind of more of a drama. It feels a bit more grown up. It feels a bit more like a spectacle. It's got more, there's more tension in the air as they're coming on stage. I definitely think it brings something. The thing is, they've always been a brilliant live band and they were always kind of beefing up those production values as each album went along. Like I remember on the Atlas tour, they were doing that thing where uh like at the roundhouse they came out and they, and as that first drop to um is it wild eyes whoa mm. yeah as the first the first drop to that they just like i don't even know what a better way to put it they just spunked out all this like confetti and like silly string from these cannons everywhere but in a way where it didn't like it it, it came out so fast and so hard that you were suddenly like Whoa! and it was like the whole place was just suddenly covered with all this stuff um, and I've, the way they did it was really cool. I hadn't quite seen it done like that before. So they've always been thinking about those live elements. But as their show has evolved to kind of get, like Elle said, drama's the, definitely the best word for it. More dramatic, more kind of grandiose. Their music has evolved with that. Um, and so the stuff they're doing, like the whole thing of Winston coming through the crowd, carrying a torch and all that stuff, uh, the spinning drum kits and all this shit. Like, I think they've done a really good job of making that feel like it's all part of the Parkway Drive thing because now they've gone from being a great live band because they just played great and everyone had a great time at their gigs to being a band where every new tour cycle, it's going to be like, what are they doing next? What's the new live show going to be look like? And I don't even think people really do that for Slipknot so much, really, because Slipknot is so kind of visually you know, tied into their masks and stuff. You're not necessarily expecting Slipknot to do something specific with each tour. Um, and the only other band that, bands I can think about that do that are Maiden and, and Ramstein. So I think Parkway have done a really good job of putting themselves into that. Um, but to answer the original question, yeah, it just depends, doesn't it? I don't really want a Kiss acoustic show, but I also would like to see... Um, I don't necessarily want to see Pyro if I'm watching like, I don't know, Jamie Lenman or something. <laughs> like it's just these things have to kind of work a certain way, I think. I'll tell you what, like when you go to Roadburn, uh, because they have this huge screen behind the main stage, I've seen some, and they do kind of special like one-off visuals uh, for particular sets. And some of those have really been absolutely mind-blowing, whether it's the um, Celine Lamouchi tribute, um, after he passed away, where there's Waste of Space Orchestra and had kind of amazing special visuals, which really, so that these, so they become kind of like one-off multimedia um, experiences. And yeah, Roadburn was really good for doing that. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's really cool when festivals can uh, create those kind of one-off things. And Roadburn seems to be like the Mac Daddy of that. Yeah. Um, oh, I feel like you should answer this next question because it's something you have particular interest and also experience in covering i can answer the question go on then. Can i read the question as well 
Um, I'll tell you what, let's spread the love. Jonathan, you read it. L, you answer it. <laughs> I'm going to read it, but I'm not going to understand. Right. Many claim that rock is dead, but if you check the Japanese rock and metal scene, the genre is thriving. You've got bands like X Japan, Maximum, The Hormone, and Gaunerius, um, who have had some international success. But then you've got all girl bands like Band Made, Love Bites, and Baby Metal, who make great music and have become popular due to their YouTube videos going viral. Do you think these bands don't get the attention and support they deserve because they rely on some sort of gimmick? Or is it because people relate to any music in Japanese to anime? That was Daniel Platez that asked that one, by the way. Thanks, Daniel, for a thought-provoking question. What do you say, L? So I'm not sure if people necessarily relate any music in Japanese to anime, but what I would say is that I think the anime, anime community are largely the ones who turn out to see Japanese bands when they play in the UK, because I'd say they probably have more of a fascination with the language and culture than maybe metal fans do. But that's obviously not to say there's not a crossover between metal fans and anime fans, because I'm sure there is. But I think if, it's, if we're talking about general kind of metal music fans, there's probably a few different reasons why maybe those bands haven't been embraced as much as some of those bands, possibly relating to cultural language and geographical divides. So X Japan, which Daniel mentioned, they're a really interesting band. If you haven't seen it, go and watch the documentary We Are X from 2016 because they've got a crazy story. But they were massive in Japan in the 80s. And it was their dream to break big in the West and they never did it. And now I think sadly modern music has moved on and they still sound kind of 80s and flamboyant and dramatic. So they're a great and interesting band, but I'm not really sure that contemporary audiences here will relate to them very much. Um, but yeah, you should check them out anyway because they're really interesting. Um, Maximum the Hormone, I think there's probably a problem there with them barely touring in the UK. So, um, you know, they haven't toured here since 2008 when they came with Enter Shikari. They did one show in Islington in 2011, it looks like. And they're a band that sing in Japanese. And, um, you know, you have to kind of seek them out. I think really they're not going to be sort of put in front of you necessarily. Um, and there's some other bands in Japan who are brilliant. And, they, you know, they've never come over here because it is a long way to come and tour. It's very expensive to come and tour. I saw this incredible band called the Wagaki Band in Osaka who are really, really amazing. They do these incredible shows where they even have martial arts displays in the middle and they kind of fuse together traditional instruments with rock and metal. And they're amazing. And I saw them a few years back, um, but they've not ever come over here. They've played a few shows in Japan, a few shows in the States. But if you like the sound of that, they have got a new album in October called Tokyo Singing, which actually includes a new song called Sakura Rising with Amy Lee on it. So there's a chance maybe now that more people are going to hear about them and actually might pick up on it, which would be cool because they deserve that. And then Daniel also mentioned girl groups like Band Made, Love Bites, Baby Metal. Um, and he also said maybe they don't get the attention they deserve because they rely on some sort of gimmick. And I do think that's true in a sense for Baby Metal. I think there was like a, a sort of dis mistrust of them being gimmicky but I feel like they've sort of embedded themselves in the metal scene now and people don't really argue about it um band made maybe has seen a bit more of a novelty and love bites I feel like a crossing over a bit you know because they play bloodstock um and they've sort of been embraced so I'd say that maybe like the girl bands as you called them 
are kind of being embraced more now and not just seen as kind of a novelty band they're actually part of the metal scene so I think things are changing mm. um but I would say I think it's just difficult really with the kind of distance between here and Japan and the language in a sense you know if you haven't got a band coming over and playing with the bands you usually listen to or if you can't um you know if you've not got kind of a lot of information about that band in front of you you might not know them so mm. I'm kind of hopeful that people are embracing more Japanese bands now but um yeah I guess it's all it, again it kind of depends on the band really doesn't it I'll have to see yeah totally I feel like Love Bites stick out quite a lot on that last thing as well because you know as much as we all love baby metal and band made a call like those are certainly bands that have been put together with a bit of a gimmick or kind of you know it's a bit of a different vibe whereas love bites are literally a band that just play power metal that happens really? all from japan like that's it like so I, I think it's not surprising that they crossed over in a slightly different way because they're just a metal band who happen to be you know made up entirely of women from japan that's it it's not quite the same thing um, I think yeah. they've got more of a Western sound as well. Um, and I think some other bands like um, the one Jonathan mentioned, I actually had to Google, I didn't know them, uh, Galnerius. Um, I, yeah, I Googled them and they've got, <clears throat> excuse me, more of a kind of like, it's more like a sort of dynamic sound. And there is a kind of, um, to some Japanese rock and metal bands, there is kind of that more sort of dynamic um, feel, which is a little bit different to kind of the genres we tend to, adhere to in a sense uh, I'm not really articulating it very well but there is kind of a sort of um, I don't want to say it's not like power metal but a more kind of um, soaring sort of rock and metal sound which you probably wouldn't put in any particular mm. genre box and over here maybe we're a bit obsessed with kind of going this is thrash metal this is death metal and mm. um, I mean yeah. there's certainly Japanese pop melodies like as an undertone throughout Love Bites music, you can you can you can hear that. Um, just some of the keys and the chords they use. I wonder what happened to Deer and Grey because they seem to be the band that kind of predated all these bands, apart from obviously X Japan. But they were the ones that kind of made the first inroad with this whole kind of J Rock thing. And I got see I got asked to see them, not knowing who they were in Germany. And yeah, the amount of uh, attention they got and the, and the amount of absolute mania from the fans was was really kind of off the scale mm. and the fact you had all these people singing along um a in japanese um a lot of people come from sweden and to germany because those were the places where they um music got imported or exported to um some some you know some of the the court some some of the time time signatures were not your typical western time signatures so there was kind of something a bit off. There was kind of obviously a bit of a psychological thing going on with the singer, where he, you know, he cut himself in the from the inside of the mouth, and was talking about really personal things. And yeah, that seemed to be the one band that seemed to like predate the big Japanese wave. And they were kind of huge in their own in their own bubble, and they just they seemed to have disappeared. No, they still exist. They played, according to the internet, they played Islington Academy in February of this year. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Just I think whenever they play. It's just that the fan club gets all the tickets, so it doesn't immediately, so it doesn't really get out past past that. It's, it's very much kind of in a bubble. Yeah, that's kind of what I mentioned when I'd sort of, a little bit of what I meant when um, I said there was sort of 
Japanese buns being embraced by anime communities when I've seen Japanese buns before and it usually tends to be at the Islington Academy it must be something about that venue size or links with certain management companies it usually does tend to be people who are kind of from that community or perhaps you know like you said obsessives of that band and I think for those bands to get really known outside of those worlds they need to be doing support slots with other bands which Dear and Grey did you know I'm not you know I'm not sure kind of why they sort of dipped down again um and kind of fell off the general radar a bit I think you know distance and exposure really play a role in this Mm. sure interesting interesting thoughts indeed uh I guess we'll see which of those bands can continue to pick up some kind of uh momentum there's definitely a lot of potential in uh, a lot of the Japanese melt scene right now anyway um Sam Welch asks if you could put together a, a special issue covering just one band who would you pick would it be Route One and pick an established name or a slightly smaller band to help give them the first step towards headliner status? I guess this is just carte blanche here. Like, what, what would you like to, if you could just have, if sales didn't matter, if you just wanted to do whatever the fuck you wanted, what would you like to do a whole magazine on? Well, we already kind of did it a little bit when um, we did a Ramstein magazine. So, good point. Like, a ton of Ramstein content, the early years, Breaking America, the music, the lyrics, the show, deep dive on Till Lindemann. Um, and I was obviously heavily involved in putting a lot of that together. And that was really cool because it was just like immersing myself in Ramstein world. So it is really fun doing specials on bands that you really like because you can really like dig inside them. We were just talking about baby metal then. And the one thing I'd really like to do with baby metal is do like a deep dive and go to their hometowns and see where they grew up and really get to know them as people. But as we know, they're characters really rather than people in the music and they're very heavily guarded. So we do speak to them, but that we speak to them as characters in the band baby metal, not as people outside baby metal. So that will probably never happen. But um, yeah, I'd love to do it on some of my other favourite bands like Deftones, Night Nails, and then smaller bands, obviously. The one we always talk about is Code Orange. The kind of, yeah, I've got Code Orange down here. Which would be cool and just kind of, again, I like doing kind of the hometown things. They're fun. If you could go to Pittsburgh and kind of look around their hordes. Because they're one of those bands that have really created their own world. And I just think you can just dip so far into that. You, you could know, they, go wild, couldn't you, with like Matrix visuals and stuff. That would be really awesome. Definitely. I mean, we did. We wanted to do a, a Code Orange cover this year, but the timing just didn't quite work out um, because of when their album was due. But we had the kind of space then; it just didn't quite work. But obviously, we did get Jamie on the cover of Last Man's Hammer, which is cool. But um, yeah, I'm sure there's still more to be said about that. Uh, what would your cover look like, Jonathan? Your well, I, I'm torn between what kind of approach, like, like either a band with a long, obviously, I want bands with long histories, but one whose history is kind of like part of a bigger story or it indicates something bigger. So um, one of which would be Mayhem because it would be kind of be a history of black metal. Also, they have the most amazing stories. Mm. Um, so that, but, and you know, every album was kind of very different from the last. Um, they're all kind of like, it's, it's very turbulent history. Um, they're all like really interesting characters. Um, and yeah, they all have a kind of, every album has its own story to it um, and it makes a much larger narrative. So that would be really interesting. And, um, but also you'd want bands where like every album feels totemic on a, very, on a kind of a psychological level, like every band 
uh, every album kind of is a marker point for where they are. So I would say either Converge or Neurosis because a, they both represent a particular kind of very sort of hermetic, hermetic kind of scene in a way. Plus, you know, both really emotionally open and, and unguarded and elemental. And um, I just think the journey from each of the albums would each have its own story. I know Neurosis have like amazing stories about Through Silver and Blood. I'm sure um, Converge have amazing stories about, um, you know, Jane Doe and, and a lot of the albums that came out there and, and the whole kind of scene that they came out of as well too. But, you know, they, they operate very much to their own, both bands are very operate much to their own laws. Uh, so I think those would be really amazing stories. And also, you know, Jake's such an interesting front man. Uh, Nate is one of the finest people on the planet, Nate, Nate Newton. So I just think that would be the, those that would all make for amazing narratives and stories. Yeah, I would read the hell out of that. Well, both the of them. Artwork as well, because doesn't Jake Bannon do like um, artwork as well? Yeah, he does all the artwork, not just for that, but for everything. He runs his own label, Death Witch Inc. So he does the artwork for pretty much every band on that on that label. That's awesome. I'd love to read that. Um, yeah, I mean, your, your guys' ideas, I think, are <laughs> possibly better than mine. I mean, I had Code Orange down here again because I feel like you could really, you know, I was just thinking about world-building bands and I think Code Orange have absolutely done that and you could just have so much fun with that. Uh, yeah, Ghost came to mind, obviously, because there's just already so much history and storyline and characters and colour and imagery and there's just so much you could play with there. So I really love that. Um this wouldn't be one that we could do for Metal Hammer, but if I, I would love to read a proper dedicated, insightful magazine dedicated to the Prodigy. Um, I feel like, you know, they always get coverage and they've always kind of been around. And I know that other magazines go deeper on that than we would, but I don't feel like I've seen that kind of definitive, all-encompassing take on them yet. Um, and they were just such an important band, such a culturally significant band. Um, and they've just been through so many uh, interesting deviations in their career that I would love to read that. Um, so if anyone wants to like, you know, hire me on the side to do a bonus prodigy mag, I'll do it. Guys, anyone, anyone? Cheers. Um, but yeah, I would read that and I'd read the hell out of all of yours as well. I think that was a fine uh, bonus commissioning ideas session. <laughs> we just got, <laughs> we got courtesy of Sam Wells. Thanks, Sam. Uh, that is it for this week's episode. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for joining us, Ellen Jonathan. It's my pleasure. For joining you, Merlin. Unless you're multiple people. Thanks. <laughs> uh, yeah, always a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for supporting us. And um, go out and play some Power Trip today very, very loudly. Do it. You are. Cheers, everybody. We'll see you next week. Another time. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.